Welcome to episode 156 of the CU Insight Experience. This episode is brought to you by Allied Solutions. With over 40 years of experience in the financial services industry, Allied Solutions helps more than 4,000 clients grow or enhance their bottom line, protect their business and consumers, and evolve to stay ahead of the competition. I'm Randy Smith, one of the co-founders of CUinsight.com, and this show is all about taking a deep dive with the leaders of the credit union movement that make it so great. Today on the show, I'm I'm excited for this. It's a longtime friend of mine, uh, so this is going to be fun. I know that for sure. Greg Mikulik. Greg is the EVP and the Chief Engagement Officer at CUNA. So let's jump right in. Welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, thank you, Randy. I'm looking forward to this. I've been excited about this since uh, we first started talking about it. Yeah, this should be fun. It's going to be a blast. So for those of you who don't know you, give us a little background on what's the Greg story here. Where'd the career start and how did it lead you to where you are today? Sure. Uh, So uh, a few years ago, uh, coming out of college, I was really interested in advertising, wanted to be an advertising copywriter. And that was kind of... uh, The the next Don Draper? Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, it seemed (laughs) like maybe that was the way to go. I landed at, you know, a company that was... uh, turned out to be more about ad specialties, you know, selling uh, buttons and, you know, keychain holders. And But they wanted to build out more of an agency feel. It, that just never really happened. They were really nice people, but it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't working. So, you know, over the course of, the, of a year or so, I was looking around and Q's had this opportunity for an advertising and sales representative. And since it had advertising in the title, I thought I'd give that a shot. So I did, applied for it, got that role, and uh, and boom, I was in the credit union space. Yeah, and so did that for about four and a half years. And one of uh, the companies that I was working with, selling the ads and exhibit space and things to, was Pemco Technology Services, which is now. Uh, part of Jack Henry, Jack Henry, uh, JHA payment processing. But I I moved into the card processing space and I did sales for uh, almost nine years, uh, mostly on the Western part of the U.S., Uh, did some account management all the way over into California, so really uh, national, but did that for a while until Q's came knocking again and and (laughs) said, hey, uh, we've got some management opportunities. Would you be interested? And, And I jumped at that and Spent another four and a half years at Q's. So, you know, I was a boomerang Q'ser, I guess is what we called ourselves back then. And that led to an opportunity at the New Jersey Credit Union League, where I, I became president CEO for, for several years there before a conversation with Jim Nussel led me to CUNA. And I've now been at CUNA for seven years. Wow, that's crazy to think that's been seven years. I remember going to your your very first New Jersey League event and sitting in the front row and cheering you. And so, <laughs> I remember you being there. And it was great to have your support. <laughs> so you mentioned, you know, wanting out of college, you want to get into advertising. When you went to work for Q's, did you know what a credit union was, or did you do you remember the first time you heard of a credit union? Yeah, no, I think the first time I heard of a credit union was, was when I saw that ad, and again, <laughs> it said advertising, and then they said something about credit union. So I had to do a little research to at least figure out what that was. But uh, no, I didn't really, I didn't really know what a credit union was. And of course, once I got to Q's, you spend a little bit of time, you, you figure it out, but it takes some time. I know even when we have people join our team now, they talk about all the acronyms and we need to have a book full of them because <laughs> everything has CU in it somewhere. And yeah. So 
<laughs> that is true. Let's talk a little bit about credit unions. And I was excited to ask you this because obviously in the position that you're in, you're you know, you're working on the national level, you're dealing with credit unions on a daily basis. What what are the some of the biggest challenges that you're seeing us as a industry, a movement facing today? Yeah. You know, I think I think it really comes down to uh, perception, kind of overall perception in the marketplace. And I say that because I think the biggest banks drive a lot of the financial services sector perception. And so, you know, large banks will have the scale to do some things that credit unions can't necessarily do, you know, in terms of digital offerings, for example, um, and even in terms of marketing spend. You know, there aren't many credit unions that are going to be able to keep up with those big banks when it comes to what they can put forth in terms of marketing. We've looked for ways to solve for that. And and we've done some things successfully and and Chris Lawrence at the Credit Union Awareness, you know, LLC will tell you we've been successful and, and and he's got the receipts too. He can show that we've been successful, but that's that's still an issue. But where I think the perception, you know, becomes a bigger challenge is that there are many banks that aren't at that scale level. They aren't the biggest banks. And many credit unions are right there with them in terms of what they're able to do and what they're able to offer. But I think those uh, those other banks or even you know community banks benefit from the brand of the large banks. And so when people hear bank, they think, oh, well, my bank should be able to do this for me because it's a bank. And when it comes to credit unions, there's a different perception. And I've got an example, actually, because I I manage like a neighborhood account for for a shared thing that we do in our neighborhood. And it's at a bank and it's a billion dollar plus bank. And, you know, it was given to me. So I didn't choose to bank with (laughs) happened. And I have to use their mobile app. And when I do that, it's a miserable experience. This is this is not a good experience. And I also have an account with a credit union that's you know, one-tenth the size of that bank. Their mobile app is fantastic. And the user experience. Easy to use. And it's, I mean, I I almost break out in hives when I know I have to use the bank. (laughs) But that's a perception thing, right? I mean, people. Absolutely. Well, it's a bank. They must have this thing. And it's a credit union. Well, that's a credit union. So I don't know if I should expect it to be that good or not. So I think, again, from a a perspective or, or a perception side of the house, that's a challenge. And and then, of course, you've got the regulatory environment when it comes to under-regulated financial services type companies that are coming to the movement. And that just, again, it makes it hard for, for credit unions to really be able to compete in some instances where people have perceptions that don't match the reality. That is such an interesting space because, like you said, they don't necessarily have the same regulation that that credit unions do or banks for that matter. But yet a, a lot of them are the ones that are setting the user experience expectation, I'd just say. Like, we, I'm sure we've all used PayPal or Venmo or when we go to Amazon. Like, it's a very smooth experience that we're all used to. And that's kind of become... Uh, at least when I talk to people, I'm like, that's table stakes now. If you're so like when you're talking about that community bank that you're that you have to to work with, that's a letdown at this point, I would think, for a lot of people, right? Because you just expect it to be a smooth transition. So and, and that experience with a lot of those uh types of firms too is really a front end. I mean, at the back, it's still a bank yeah, right. that you're working with. So I mean it, it, that that's something that a lot of people don't even 
understand and also makes it difficult when they're going through kind of that comparative process between a, a, another financial services option and credit unions. So, you know, we're a few months into 2023 now. If you and I were sitting down at the end of the year, maybe we're having a bourbon and uh, what are the big advocacy wins that you hope that you and the, the, the CUNA team could tell me about then? Well, first of all, let's get the bourbon on the schedule so we can, right. so we can do, do that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's always preserved the tax credits. Uh, you know, the tax status is always at the top of the list. That's always going to be something that we have to not just keep an eye on, but we have to be active and proactive in making sure that uh, members of Congress and, and lawmakers understand why not only is it important from an operating model standpoint, but it's because of that that we're able to put people over profit. We're able to deliver for members throughout the country in a way that's effective and helping them in their financial well-being as they move forward. You know, more specifically, and I'll defer to our advocacy team because <laughs> I, I get to play an advocate a little bit, but uh, I'm not the professional on our team or the the professionals on our team that really uh, engage on this on a day-to-day basis on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. for credit unions. But, you know, we've got overdraft is a, a top of mind issue right now. We need to make sure that we keep that protection available for consumers, for our members. It's something that they choose. It's a safeguard, you know, for them, something that when they're at the register, there's a comfort level knowing that their credit union has their back with overdraft and they opt into it. So it's something that they want and they, they want to have. And and probably one that you'll hear a lot of uh, this year too is on interchange. Let, let's talk the engagement side, the, your wheelhouse here. What has you most excited that you and your team are, are working on for the credit union movement nationally? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, there's been a couple of things and it's, you know, from a team perspective, it lands with an engagement because we're working with the credit union system. But I would say that team is really broad. So we've got members outside of the CUNA employee family that fit into this team work that we're doing. Uh, so when we talk about the, the digital environment, uh, the digi- digitization working group that, uh, that we've had in place the last couple of years has been really exciting in, in terms of uh, working with uh, some of the large QSOs, Co-op, PSCU, Trellens, Origins, CUNA Mutual Group, uh, working with credit union professionals from, you know, whether they're CEOs or whether they're strategy executives or, you know, uh, people specifically in the digital space uh, to bring forward what credit unions can do to lift that digital experience. So we just talked about that in, in a previous uh, question, but how do we help all credit unions improve in the digital space. And uh, so that's been pretty exciting working on that the last couple of years. We've passed some of that over to uh, CSS, the CUNA strategic services area, uh, to lead it because it's really about collaboration there. But when it comes down to how we execute within the organization, that's something that our engagement team has really been instrumental in gathering all the players to have the conversation, to kind of aggregate into one place on thinking through a strategy on how we can do that together. You know, the other one is something I kind of just mentioned too, is financial well-being. And I've had the opportunity uh, to be our executive sponsor of financial well-being for all within CUNA. And you'll hear a lot of, of what's going on in the credit union space around that. But within our organization specifically, right now we're in a phase of operationalizing how we support 
financial well-being for all for the movement? How do we work with the foundation and the Fin Health Fund and what they're doing? How do we take the data that's in the marketplace and use that from our market intelligence function, which is something that's in the engagement unit? How do we analyze and interpret that data to make sure we're telling the stories? Uh, communications and marketing are within the engagement unit. How do we then make sure those stories hit the right areas within the movement? Uh, how do we you know, communicate that through the media and into consumer spaces? As you know, we work with uh, credit unions directly through our credit union relations function, which is part of engagement. So how are we getting those stories from credit unions? How are we understanding what credit unions are doing in the financial wellness space? So that, again, we can take all of that and help build the story and help under, you know, credit unions understand what we mean when we say financial well-being for all. So, yeah, all that work gets me pretty pretty excited and it's it's hugely impactful. And I think we have a great chance to make a difference. And that's and that's pretty exciting. That's pretty cool. You, you know, I was excited to ask you this question because, as you mentioned, your background and, you know, the you're, you're coming up in the credit union space. You've worked with a lot of leaders beyond just being one yourself. So whether that was, you know, at Q's, obviously, uh, they educate a lot of leaders. And then when you're at the New Jersey League, it's a lot of CEOs you had to work with there, right? And now currently in your role as well. What do you think makes a good leader today? Yeah, I think trust is important. I really think starting out with earning the trust of your team is instrumental in making sure that they see you as a leader. And then from there, it's important to be steady. I, I think, you know, moderating your highs and lows is important. How you react as a leader, they're going to see that and they're going to, I think, interpret that and how, how they react to certain situations. And in some cases, your reaction may only be the starting point. And if they see you kind of get a little too worked up about something, that may cause them to get even more worked up about something. So it's important to be steady. And I'm not saying you can't sell, you know, celebrate successes. You you should celebrate success, and you should be transparent and acknowledge when things aren't going well, and have the tough conversations. That's all important with leadership too. But you know, you don't need to go from the uh, you know World Series winning locker room where you're <laughs> popping champagne and and all of that to you know a week later you're you know walking into the courtroom with everybody with their heads down because something's not going well. You know, just that moderation, I think, is important to kind of be steady and and make sure that they, they see you as someone who's not going to overreact in situations and kind of set that tone. Let me ask you this. Have you always had that steadiness about you or is that something that you've had to acquire along, along your journey? That is something that I think I've learned. I, I don't know if I have necessarily been you know, kind of the roller coaster personality that's way up or way down. But I'm definitely conscious about how I react to things. And, you know, I guess I will say that over time, I have had, you know, some, some people and there are people that you know, have said to me, you know, that that I do act maybe differently now as a leader than than I did, you know, in my pre-leadership days, if you will. <laughs> I just look at that as a part of growth. I, I, I don't know. I, I was excited to ask you this because we have many, obviously, we have shared friends. And it, that's such an interesting thing because I think most people, as they come up in leadership, like people that were once, say, direct reporting peers are could become 
one way or the other, right? Like they could become your boss. You can become their boss. A lot of what I would call future leaders, people that want to sit in the seat that you're sitting in, want to become the, the next CEO, right? Like listen to this podcast. How do you manage people that at one point were, they're, they're always still colleagues, but they were peer level before. And now it's your responsibility to manage them. Yeah. And it's actually happened exactly like you, you've said it. I have reported to people who now report to me Absolutely. and I've been <laughs> colleagues with people who, you know, we were a peer level, if you will. I think the important thing to remember is we're all still equal. I mean, just because, you know, the hierarchy on a org chart may say one thing or another, you know, we're all coming to work for the same purposes. Uh, and that is we want to be successful, of course, individually, but we want to drive success as an organization. And in this case, the people that that I'm talking about, and, you know, it's it's the Jess Rubish of the world and the Karen Sands and Absolutely. You know, that we've had those long relationships with that are, that now report to me on the org chart. They're, you know, they're people I can go to because of that long-term relationship. And I know they're going to be straight shooters with me. I know they're going to know me and call me out and say, I, I could tell in that meeting that something's on your mind, you, you know, should, should we talk about that? And I think that's important. But at the end of the day, I know we're all in it together and, we're, and and we balance each other out and we're on the team together because of that balance, because we know we all bring strengths that maybe help each other out in the long run. I, I also want to say that that's not to the detriment of people that are on my team that I haven't known for a long period of time, because I, I'm pretty damn proud of the team that built at CUNA and uh, when I look around at the leaders that we have and the opportunities they've had to grow in their roles, one way or another, they've all come to their leadership role since I've been there and through relationships that I've been able to build with them and seeing them lead in their own ways. So, you know, longevity and relationship has has its benefits too, but there's it, it's not to the detriment of others who have also been able to uh, show their stuff and and, and have a great opportunity within CUNA. I'd like to, not to stick on this for too long, but I'd like to circle back a little bit, just, I mean, like purely from a, do you have any hacks to share like that? So you mentioned Jess and you mentioned Karen, you know, I mean, like when you get that position or when you bring them into the organization where now they will be reporting to you, is it is it a conversation you directly have or is it you just kind of assume, I guess, like I'm talking maybe day one, right? You get the promotion. Right. The yeah. next day where it's like, or is it just, I guess, assumed? And again, just, I know everybody's going to have to deal with this, but it was something I, I know you've managed well. So I, I, I thought it'd be a great thing to share. Well, I, I think it goes back to that trust that we talked about too, and the mutual respect, right? And, and so I feel pretty honored, privileged. I, I don't know what the right word is there that they would feel uh, comfortable and, and and I believe excited about an opportunity for us to work together. And that's, and that's, yeah. that's the idea is we work together. And of course, those conversations happen as you're going through the process of, you know, whether it's recruitment or, or otherwise, you know, we were building some things out when I first got to CUNA and uh, I saw a great opportunity for Jess just because of, uh, you know, our prior working relationship and that we did the things at cues that were similar to the things that I wanted to do at CUNA. And so what better than to have someone that I, that I worked with on those things 
on the same team with me. With Karen, and uh, you know, not I guess to go into the details <laughs> of the hiring process, but too, I mean, that that's something where you go through a process, and, and there there is an interview process, and I made sure to bring in others from the organization, not just for my sake, but for her sake too, because the last thing you want to do is is have people say, "Well, Greg's just bringing his friends in to to work at CUNA," and I, we did panel interviews and we had discussions and, and made sure that this was a group decision. And, 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 you know, Karen, and since she's been here, you know, people have sung her praises and I, I knew that would happen, but they were the ones that helped make the decision to bring her in. And it wasn't just a Greg decision. And Karen understood that all the way through the process. And I think that transparency is incredibly important in any situation that you have where you've got an existing relationship with someone that it, that's coming into your organization to make sure that they are given the opportunity to go through a process where everyone can kind of see their value when they're coming through the door. So it's they're not slighted based on that relationship that you may have had previously. Let me ask you this. I think it ties in uh, like th that idea of, you know, you talked about the vision you had of building that leadership team when you got to CUNA. We talk a lot about culture, <laughs> probably more in my house since, you know, Jill's in the people business. When you think back to the beginning, what was it that when you're building the team, what are you trying to find? Are there characteristics that you're looking for that really do play into your decision making process as far as like who you want on your team? Sure. From a culture perspective, and this is, of course, you know, assuming that uh, the people have have the chops that that to do the job, right? So you do the do the research and you look at their skill sets and those types of things. But you know, I think the first thing is, are they a we or a me person, uh -huh. right? Um, I'm a I'm a we person. You know, when you're in an interview process, you have to talk about yourself. There's got to be a a me element to that. You have to showcase yourself. But I think there are ways that can be done that show your collaborative nature um, that maybe give uh, some indication of how you will work with your team, how you'll lead your team. You know, in most cases I'm interviewing someone for a, a, a senior role within CUNA. And so you have to have an idea of how they might work with their team. Are they going to hoard the praise? Or are they going to build their team? And I think those are things in my mind, aside from technical skills and everything else, you know, they're pretty high on my radar when I'm when I'm listening to the discussions that take place in those interviews. Is the is there something that just shuts you down where you're like, nope, that's not it? It's the me or we. I mean, if if I hear someone say I too many times, I start to tune out everything else they're talking about. This is Kind of one of these, I guess, scratch my own itch questions. I, it's the part I love about the podcast, right? Like, I, I just get to, to ask this. You mentioned being able to, like, having a network, obviously. We've both been in this space for some time now. Do you have that group of people that will shoot you straight? Like, what does is, what is Greg's circle look like, I guess, as far as, like, you know, someone that I'll call truth to power and be like, that's it. What do you, what do you think in there, buddy? Yeah, no, I think... <laughs> That may be my favorite question you've asked is, and it's because of the network. And, and as you know, I mean, just over the years put together, you know, a pretty broad and, and wide network. And I've already mentioned two of the people, uh, Karen and Jess on the team who will do that. 
there are others on my team that I think because of that transparency we have in the relationship, I, I, I hope they all can come to me and challenge me when I need to be challenged. And I feel like they do. Um, but when I look back, I mean, there's a lot of people over time that we've known, obviously. And when I say that, because you and I have known each other for a long time. And, and if I were to go through a list, all the names would be people that, of course, you recognize as well. But, you know, there's, there's the Randy Schultz of the world and, and, and Mike Bartu and Scott Elbracio and Don Poker, Mark Weber, Caroline Willard. These are, it's, it's almost a group that kind of self-selected when we would be at events that kind of found, <laughs> you, know, you know, Brian Flynn's, Steve Swanston. There's all, I'm sure there's others, but yeah, yeah. we would all find ourselves kind of together talking about credit unions, talking about the system, the industry. We've all kind of, I don't know, I don't know if grown up together is, is the right way to say it, but it's been long enough where we've, you know, seen a lot of the same things. And, you know, that's a network that I know if I needed something or wanted to bounce an idea off to your point, I could call or text any one of them uh, at any point and, uh, and get a response and we could connect. So, you know, I think that's, you know, just from the long term, that's one. Jim Nussel is great. I mean, I, I, I love reporting to him. I, I love having him as my boss. And I love the conversations that we have because, you know, <laughs> I think the last call I had with him, which, you know, we, we talked fairly frequently, was ended with me saying, yeah, I'll get back to you if I have any other crazy ideas. Because I, I, tend I love to, that. <laughs> and, and it was, you know, it was well received and with a chuckle because I tend to, to think, I know it's cliche, but outside the box, I tend to think about things. You know, here are some scenarios we may see coming down the road. What if we did something like this, which is kind of way out of our normal thinking? Or what if we pursued an opportunity that looked a little differently in this way? And it's never shot down. It's never a, you know, well, that's kind of ridiculous. It's more of a, well, well, let's think about that. And why do you think that's important? And so I think that's a great resource for me. I, I Again, just I could probably name a bunch of other names. Teresa Freeborn was someone I always would seek out at conferences. She is the guest directly before you on this podcast. No so we're talking about her, her new book. So, yeah, <laughs> nice call out there. When I nice tie it back in, I love it. Thanks, man. <laughs> well, when I when I listen to the podcast, I mean, that's a to your point, every, every person, not, not every, but almost yeah. every person on, I'm like, oh, yeah. There's another person I know. There's somebody. I, I have to tell a Jim story. He was obviously the first guest on the podcast five years ago now, right? And afterwards, I just shot him an email saying thank you. And I'm like, listen, you know, you're past in politics. You've obviously done more media than anybody out there. And I had no idea what I was doing with this podcast, right? Like so. And and he sent me back one of the most thoughtful in like constructive, right? Like emails on things that he'd picked up along the way. And it was completely, you just expected that, like, it was fun. You know what I mean? But it was like, it, it, you could tell he actually like, he's like, here's some things that I picked up, you know, along. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. So <laughs> it was a cool experience, though, uh, just to take that thought. So I'll throw that out there about your boss. <laughs> Let me ask you this, and this really ties into what you were just saying about like that next crazy idea, right? Like, I, how do you 
make sure CUNA is a big organization. In many credit unions, they've become fairly large organizations to make sure that you're still moving fast or you're pivoting when something isn't working. We, we all have amazing ideas. Not all of them are home runs, right? And we only have, you know, the thing that I keep thinking a lot more about nowadays is we only have so much bandwidth. We only have so many resources. Like chasing something that's maybe not working and not pivoting quick, right? Like we can waste a lot of time. It, it, have you picked up anything along the way to be able to, you know, throw the bad ideas out and move on to something new? Yeah. And I don't know if it's, it's gotten to be cliche. It's that, you know, fail fast forward uh, idea, but failure is not the destination. It's just part of the journey. And I think setting kind of the, the tone around that for the team is important. It's an important, it's important to model that as well. So, I mean, to be accountable when the crazy ideas I have, or, you know, if you're, if you're getting behind some tactic and you think this is going to work and, and it's falling short, being accountable and acknowledging that and saying, Hey, listen, I thought we were in a good place and we were moving the right direction with this, but clearly we missed the mark. I take that on, on myself. I, you know, should have led us in a different direction, or maybe I should have caught that sooner. But I think modeling that will then kind of set the stage for them to do that on their own for your team from a leadership perspective. When they say you or see you be accountable and you say that, yeah, that was on me, they'll do more of that. And so when it comes time to kill an idea, they may already do it so you don't have to (laughs) and makes life a little bit easier for everyone. I love where you took that because that was going to be my next question to you was like, how do you create that space where people can fail on your team and not think it's going to ruin their career? Right. Because if people are afraid to try, we're not moving forward very quick. Right. Like, so. Yeah, we can't take the time in that. And we actually, as a, as a team, uh, a couple summers ago, read Brene Brown's book, Dare to Lead. And uh, one of the things that really resonated with me and as a team, we took away from it is clarity is kind. So the idea that if you can't acknowledge where there are challenges and be clear with each other about that, then you're not being kind to one another. And, and so I think that's a, that's a key. I think it's important in our culture. And I think it's uh, something that we try to live as a team uh, within, within CUNA whenever we can. I love that. Before we have a little bit of fun with some rapid fire questions, the, the last kind of overall question I have for you here is, was there anything you were hoping I would ask you or that you were hoping you got to talk about today that I ran out of time with? I could talk to you forever, my friend. You know. Well, that. you know, I, as I said, I do listen to the podcast and I do know a number of folks who have been on with you. One of them recently was Mr. Leo Ardine, our friend from yeah. New Jersey. Absolutely. Um, and, and first, I must say, when I listened to that podcast, um, I, I've had conversations like that with Leo when he was on my board of directors at New Jersey. That he he brings the best out of you by challenging you to think about things differently. I love every conversation with Leo because of that. <laughs> <laughs> I was taken back immediately to a conversation I had with him over lunch one day and listening to you. And it was, I mean, it was a great memory. But in, in the vein of the fact that he was asking you questions... <laughs> I wanted to just ask you about South Detroit and what does that mean to you? That's like my biggest pet peeve in the world. And you know, this. there's no such thing as South Detroit. That's when you're in Canada. So, has it, in the South. It, it is just not true. It is just, it's a, it's a horrible song for that reason. No. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's hilarious. Awesome, buddy. I appreciate that. I'm just sitting here laughing right now. So anyways, let's have a little bit of fun. Let's get to know Greg a little bit better in the rapid fire questions. There are a couple of these. I'm really excited to ask you because um, so, I was trying to think what your answers would be since we've known each other for quite some time. But uh, the questions are rapid. Your, your answers don't have to be. So what was the first job you ever had? Yeah. So, I mean, beyond mowing lawns and baling hay and, and, and doing some things like that, my first job was actually at Marathon Cheese Corporation, where my dad was the plant manager. And I worked a few different jobs there over the course of a few summers, which included an office type job where we pulled staples out of paperwork and ran it through the microfiche machine. Um, <laughs> technology background to start with. Yeah, uh, yeah. I did work on uh, various cheese shredding lines and packaging lines. And I even worked in the truck garage and had the opportunity uh, to drive some eight we- 18 wheelers in and out of the garage to you know wash them, clean them, even do a little bit of maintenance work on them, which is a little bit scary. I'm not a mechanic, uh, but whatever they had us do was pretty general. So yeah, that was my first job. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I-, I have to ask this, but I think I might know the answer. I'd go between a couple different ones, I guess. Would you want to be when you were a kid growing up? Actually, I wanted, I mean, beyond a race car driver, uh, of course, but, you know, wanted to be an architect. When I was in high school, I I, I really wanted to be an architect. And uh, I, I thought you were going to say a rock star, like a drummer in a rock band or something. That's, that's yeah, no, I for the just, brewers. Jeez, all right. you, you were practical. I assumed I would be a rock star, <laughs> but I wanted to be an architect. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I assumed I would be. What is Greg currently working on about himself? You have, what do you, the, the self-growth space. Yeah, no, I I think it's that consistency and maybe not in, you asked earlier when I said moderation, I think this is different. I think consistency is in my approach to kind of my day to day. I'm a little bit all over the place in terms of how my days look. And and part of that is because I, I actually enjoy multitasking. I feel like I'm productive when I'm doing a lot of different things. But there are also times where I get really invested in something and my focus is pretty singular. And then some of that other stuff gets deprioritized and I need to come back to it later and and catch up, play catch up, if you will. I'm also an ambivert. So there are times when the CUNA GAC is a perfect example. I get really excited to see everybody. I, my extrovert side comes out and I want to go out and, you know, spend time and say hi and, and, and do all the things. And then about midway through, I, it starts to drain me. And I know this happens for, for a lot of people just because it is an exhausting event. But I really start, you know, by the end of it to shut down because I've just had enough. And that happens in much smaller instances too, um, where it's just a, a couple day event or something like that, where I'll love going to the cocktail hour, but I don't want to go to the dinner because I've already, you know, it, I've kind of spent my extroversion. I, need to <laughs> I, I, I understand that completely <laughs> more, more than, you know, <laughs> so when you take all of that together, I'm trying to figure out a way to, you know, maybe pick up the guitar that's sitting next to me on a more frequent basis, but doing so in a planful way, that gives me some structure to my day and those types of things. I get that. L- let me talk to you about this. You know, often people that have risen up the ranks, right? And we know there's there's a bunch of us out there that we've come up with that drive the, that singular focus at times, right? Like often that can be at the detriment to 
other relationships in our life. Um, and, you know, those sometimes those more personal ones. I, I know you have a beautiful family. Anything that you've lived and learned over the course of your career to create some kind of balance out there? Yeah, no, I mean, that that is always something that, that, that can be a challenge. I know one of the benefits I've had is I, you know, if you go back to the beginning of of my time in credit unions, which is really my whole career, I started traveling right away. So I've always traveled for my jobs. The, the only time I really haven't as much was when I was in New Jersey. But even then it was, you know, heading out to a chapter meeting or something like that. Retirement dinners, all kinds of stuff, right? right? <laughs> so, so my family, um, you know, has always known me to be a traveler. So that helped set the stage and just, this is how our life is. But at the same time, I've tried to be very purposeful in making sure that when I can schedule myself uh, around things I do. I went from, as a single guy, taking the earlier flight to get there a little earlier and <laughs> keeping on the later flight so I could stay a little longer at the, you know, wherever it was, whether it was a place with a nice beach or somewhere I just hadn't been before and I wanted to explore a little bit to, you know, I'll take the 5.30 a.m. flight the morning of so that I can spend the night before, you know, with my family or at a, you know, athletic event or something like that. So that just happens. And and I think it's important. You know, you mentioned the the music stuff. I can't come home from a trip and say, hey, I'm going to go to practice with the band tomorrow night because I've got a gig on Saturday. So I've kind of put, I've deprioritized some of that. And, and someday maybe I'll do more of that as well. And I still, from time to time, will, you know, play with some folks and, and, and whatever. But it's about prioritization. And my family comes first. And and I'm also, you know, fortunate that, that my wife over all these years did a hell of a lot of extra legwork when I was on the road you know, to run the kids to all their events and pick them up from things and drop them off at, at school. And, and I've got, you know, we've got active kids and they participate. In a lot. <laughs> that you do. <laughs> That's not to be taken lightly. So I, I don't know if those are hacks, but those are maybe priorities and, and, and things that I've put at the forefront through my career. I, I have to ask you this before I run out of time. You are a music guy. What's the greatest album of all time besides the Stout Jackson album that everybody can get on iTunes? So, <laughs> thank you for saying that. Yes. Stout oh, oh, yeah. We'll put a link in there and everything. Maybe sell a couple. I've heard you ask this since the beginning of the podcast. And it's honestly, it's one of those things that I've always looked forward to answering when I you know, finally got to be on the podcast. And at the same time, it, it kind of makes me break out in highs a little bit because I <laughs> love music. And how do you select the one greatest album, which, of course, is Prince Purple Rain, but still. Um, so as I thought about that, you know, I, I was a Prince fan in high school and, and remain to this day. And one of my biggest regrets is I never saw him perform live. So I would say Purple Rain. But I also uh, wanted to throw out there something different for the listeners and that's uh matthew sweet girlfriend is an album and we don't listen to albums in full really right. anymore no not anymore um, but when i had that cd that's one of my favorites of all time and and i listen to it still to this day and if i'll listen to one song it's like oh yeah and then there was the other one and the other one and the other one and i'll just let them play and so 
I'll throw that out there as maybe not the greatest of all time in terms of albums, but uh, one that definitely deserves a listen that's probably pretty underrated. That gets you, too. I, I got to ask you the Chairman Harper question. Who plays you in the movie or biopic of your life? So, I mean, if you're going to go for this, go for this, right? And I've gotten, this drives my wife crazy, too, because I have people say, you look kind of like George Clooney. I thought that's where you were going to go. <laughs> yeah. yeah and, and, and she's like, I don't see it. I'm like, I well, if other people do, that's still, that's still good. So, I mean, I'm going to go with George Clooney. And there you go. Just for, for that reason, but I'm a fan of the Ocean's Eleven and, you know, Ocean's and I just love his demeanor. And I mean, just he's he's measured, right? So all those things we talked about. He's, he's a cool, for guys our age, he is a cool dude. I, I've, I've bought cologne and sunglasses because of him. So. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Last question, because we are running low on time here. Is there any final ask or, or something that you would like to share with our listeners today? You know, I think it's just uh, the importance of what we do in the credit union movement. And I, I'll get asked, really, in the interview process, people, you know, when they have the opportunity to ask a question of, of us, will say, well, what do you like about credit unions or about CUNA or that sort of thing? And, um, you know, I sleep well at night knowing that the work that we do is, at the end of the day, intended to benefit individuals uh, and their own well-being. And do we have to have a good revenue stream to be successful? Of course we do. But it's the idea that we are helping people, and that in itself is extremely important. And I think as we continue our journey in credit unions and as we build financial well-being for all and demonstrate the credit union difference, I hope that we all as a credit union movement continue to embrace that and put it at the center of all that we do. That is a perfect way to wrap this up. I This this went exactly how I thought it was going to do. Like when some of the people you mentioned before were on the show that we're, we're friends with, where my biggest concern was time. Uh, so, because I knew that we could talk for hours and I don't think everybody wants to listen to us for that long. So anyways, I appreciate you, you coming on so much, my friend. This has been an absolute blast. Last thing, if people have more questions of you, which I'm sure they will. What's your poison? LinkedIn, email? How can people contact you? Sure. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, that's that's an easy one. Follow on Twitter if you want to see a blend of my CUNA type world as well as occasional highlights of my kids doing sports and <laughs> other things like that. So, uh, you know, you can look me up on either one of those or email me at gmicklig at cuna.com. Awesome. We will link to all of that. Thank you again, my friend. And we'll link to everything we talked about today in the show notes. Thanks for being here, buddy. Hey, it was awesome. And I really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks, Randy. A few things before we go. Make sure to check out Allied Solutions in the show notes and see how you can leverage their 40 years of experience to help protect your and grow your credit union. They are a longtime partner of CUinsight.com and the the podcast, and I'm grateful for their support because I get to have this much fun doing what I do. Please also subscribe to the CU Insight experience on your favorite podcast player. We're on them all. And if you're looking for any of the books mentioned on the show, like the Brene Brown book that Greg mentioned, a quick Google of the CU Insight experience podcast book list and your next read is on its way from Amazon. Last but certainly not least, a big thank you to Greg all of you for listening. Y'all rock. I appreciate the kind words that come in about the show. I hope you are all well, friends, and see you soon.